Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello again and welcome back to Spin, the rally pod, as we continue our investigation into the career of the six-time world champion Sebastian Ogier. Now, last time, the plan was to do the whole of his career in one podcast, but we only got to 2011. So, Colin Clark, David Evans and George Donaldson join me now as we, we kind of were on the cusp of Sebastian Ogier winning his first world championship title. All of this is in the previous podcast. If you've missed it, go back and listen again and you can find how we got to this point. We're going to kind of skip over 2012, are we? Or are we going to talk about the beginning of the uh, the story with Volkswagen? I, I think we should skip over it. Uh, you know, it was, it was a bit of a nothing year. I think, you know, what's worth uh, highlighting there is the fact that he actually joined Volkswagen uh, over M Sport. Uh, and, you know, the intention was very, very clear from Volkswagen from the outset that they'd gone into t- 2012 with this season um, in, a, in a Skoda Fabia S2000 car. And essentially it was a season of preparation, which, you know, you very, very rarely do you see a manufacturer coming and doing a sort of practice year. Uh, and that's exactly what it was. They were just they were fine tuning the team. They were getting ready by just going around the world. You know, imagine the investment to do that um, while simultaneously building what would become the greatest world rally car of its of its generation i mean george can you remember i I mean your times at toyota surely you you would have seen that sort of extravagance wouldn't you well i mean you see extravagance um they they, they still got a lot of publicity out of it obviously not the branding exercise they were looking for but in in motorsport terms they, they they built their presence very nicely in terms of an investment yeah absolutely they were doing a build up year anyway they they basically threw that uh, through the S two thousand in to I suppose get the team you know a little bit of match fitness and obviously to keep Sebastian right up to speed on all his pace notes and all his performance mm. on the events his knowledge of the events that plus you know basically because they hadn't entered the world championship yet they had an unlimited amount of testing which they went and did properly and it's just so refreshing to see it really I looked on that with. Uh, not with envy, but with um, with fond uh, with fond memories of doing a similar job at Toyota. You know, when we could go and do things properly, we had constraints. Uh, I mean, people used to always say about Toyota being such a rich and wealthy team. We were the only team that didn't arrive and fly around in a helicopter. We never wasted money on that. The other teams mm. did that. You know, the Pro Drives, M Sport. You know, those guys liked flying their helicopters, so that's what they did. I mean, that wasn't uh... a cheap exercise. Yeah, but equally, you're quite right, sorry, I shouldn't have used the word extravagance, it was an investment, but, and we're already sidetracked, having already said, let's skip over to 2000, no, 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 it's entirely my fault, George, 
But was it, I mean, was it really, you know, flying around in helicopters? Actually, you could see that as being more efficient because you needed less people on the ground and you could just heli a crew from place to place. You know, is that a fair point or is it just nonsense? And it was. Uh, no, you can, you can argue, you can argue that. And, and there is, there is always a benefit. I would have loved to have a helicopter when I was a team manager at Toyota. It would have been great. We did in, on some events have helicopters where it was the only practical solution. Greece, because you had, the roads were yeah. so terrible to get around back in the, the mid nineties. It was, it was tough. Easier now, better roads. Um, mm. Yeah. I think it was a balance, but you know, you had to. Fly. I mean, what does it cost to take a helicopter, fly a helicopter out to Greece? It was an indulgence on on behalf of the the team owners, I think, which is good. You know, it was a good indulgence. It was, it was part part but of the I'm, fabric. I mean, I loved watching David Richards watch Landy's helicopter in impossible places. He is a phenomenally gifted pilot. Make no mistake about that. And don't you think there's something about a sport, though? Again, slightly sidetracking here, though, to have. Um, the glamour side of it as well, that people are attracted by the fact that there are people flying around in helicopters to do their job. Yes, Lisa, absolutely. I love that part of it. But there's also, guys, there's also the practical element to it. I mean, I I remember when I was at BAT, George, you'll remember those days when I was looking after the sponsorship of the 555. We had quite a sceptical, I had a reasonably sceptical boss uh, who was in charge of marketing. And I can't remember, it may have been you, George, it may have been David Richards, but someone said to me, bring him out to Spain, we'll give you the helicopter for the day, and that will win him over. And I'm thinking, well, he's, he's, he, how can it? I mean, he's sceptical, he's just not sure about the sport, he doesn't like it. Uh, and he reluctantly came out to Spain, particularly to Salou for the day, because the first day, I think we were based in Lorette de Mar, but I think the first day was in Salou. And at the <laughs> end of that day, George, in the helicopter, it was David Richards' helicopter, at the end of yeah. that day, I could have asked him to sign a cheque for any amount and he would have signed it. He was absolutely blown away by it. Blown away. Yeah. Rallying from being, he was Italian, Colin, what are you talking about? What, what is this? I, I don't know what you're talking about, Colin. Between the accents, are we? I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't get this sport. Yeah, that's, that's happened again, hasn't it, Lee? From, from that, it was, how much do you need? How much, Colin? This is the greatest sport on earth. And it was, it was just, it was just a transformation, and it was right, you know. That it was, it was the helicopter experience. It was chasing rally cars through mountains. It was seeing them from above. Um, you know, okay, helicopters are are these days very much an indulgence. We don't see too many, but they've got a use, they've got a place, and they've got a value. That's for sure. What's that got to do with Ogier? Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> we'll move it back to there, but uh, but just to put the full stop under that, the the fi- the pictures we do get of the championship from the helicopter, oh. I, I mean, it has transformed the way that we actually follow the sport as well, and also the fact that we can all now follow the sport um, on our mobile devices wherever we are when the championship's running. Mm. But we are talking about Sebastian Ogier, so let's go to 2013, and tell me, guys, how impressive. Mm was both the BW Polo RWRC and Sebastian Ogier at the start of that year. Can I kick this one off? Because it's a vivid memory for me. It's a really vivid memory. It was the end of that opening stage. We were based in Valence, remember? I can't remember the name of the stage, but it was the stage where the cars come out the stage. They they go for about six, 700 metres down the hill, turn left into a little village, and the bloke is there with the apple pie shop where they all stop, ah. no matter what time of day, he makes apple pie for the drivers. It was that stage. I'm sure some of our listeners will be able to, to put my, uh, my uh, memory right with that one. But I remember standing at the end of that stage thinking, 
you know, what can we expect here from Volkswagen? What can we expect from Ogier? It's their first stage in a brand new car. Their first stage is a brand new team. What can we expect? And my goodness me, it was just an absolute statement of intent. You know, they blew everyone away on that stage. Ogier came through fastest time and he never looked back. For four years, he never looked back. It was phenomenal, David. I was hundred uh, percent. Um, it was, but it was all down to his that, that year, wasn't it? You know, they they'd invested so much in the car. They get, you know, for example, they went to Mexico. They went to Mexico and tested at high altitude um, the week or the couple of weeks after the, the rally had been there. You know, they didn't leave anything to chance at all. Uh, and it was. And I think Seb's Seb's diligence as well. I mean, Seb yeah. would have driven that team, uh, and you know, the, the team okay had a had a great ethos and a great a great concept to go forward. Seb would have taken that to another level. The guy is so professional and so hardworking. How, and how so, much do you yeah, think? How much boys was he involved in the development of that car? Yes, he was driving. Huge amount. Yes, huge, huge amount. amount. Was it of built? He was. was it effectively built around him? Yes. Yeah, him and and Francois Xavier de Maison, the technical director of Volkswagen, were brilliant. They worked absolutely hand in hand. As I remember once, I think probably on that event in Monte in that year, talking to FX about you know how do you get Sebastian Ogier to to work and, and you know what is it? And he said we're both mountain men. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, they were both men from the mountains, and they were just very, very hardworking. But it was a, a perfect setup, you know, Jost Capito uh, at the top, um, and the whole thing just worked. Uh, okay. And the car was was sensational. It was, but fundamentally, on an event like Monte, what we saw immediately was a the performance, but b the efficiency of the car. Mm. It just it worked. There were no foibles. There were no difficulties. It had been tested. It was ready. I think there was an element that, you know, trying to beat Loeb when Loeb was probably still just about in his pomp uh, at that time, it it was difficult. And it was a difficult one for Ogier to know how hard to push. Um, And so, you know, ultimately he he finished second to to Sebastian Loeb in in Monty that year. But from Sweden onwards, you know, it was pretty much a whitewash. Mm. David, just, just, just go back to the development of the car. You know, what we have to remember is when Ogier took that year out, so you know, when he signed mm. for Volkswagen, they had probably 13 or 14 months to get that car competition ready. You know, you're not talking about signing a Marcus Gronholm who's got a couple of championships behind him, who's got years of experience behind him. You know, he was, OK, he was a rally winner, and he'd come pretty close in 2011 to winning the championship, but he only had five or six wins behind uh, under his belt yeah, at but, this point. He wasn't yeah, a massively Colin, experienced driver. Was that a gamble? It, it was... <sighs> No, it no. wasn't a gamble. It wasn't a gamble for Volkswagen because look at what he was doing. In the same car, he was taking on and beating Sebastian Loeb. Nobody mm. had done that. No, Nobody mm. had done that. You That's know, true. so he, he didn't have a massive amount of experience, but he had enough. But he had ultimate pace, absolute pure pace. And it, it for me, it was more of a gamble for Ogier to go and to take that year out of his career rather than go and potentially win with with M Sport, which quite possibly he would have been world champion in 2012. He had to put his championship aspirations on ice for a season and then think, you know, will Volkswagen come back? Because remember when they came to Dakar, they didn't win straight away. It took them a lot of years to get the, the Tuareg, a lot of years, probably two or three years, I think, um, to get the Tuareg winning. 
Um, and, you know, if you'd said to oh, that must have been in Augier's mind that, you know, if it takes them a couple of years, you know, that's potentially three years with this development year. He could have been out of the game then, not out of the game, but, you know, past his prime. Uh, so it was a bit of a gamble more for, for him. Um, but for VW, nah, not at all. So let's go through 2013. This brand new car, Sebastian Ogier, with their uh, development, helping, as you say, through the development of that car. So Monte Carlo second. Ogier in Sweden then became the second Sebastian, <laughs> second non-Nordic winner since 1950. Uh, it was also the first one, of course, for the Polo RWRC. And we had the Power Stage as well. The Power Stage, did that come in 2012? Was that 2013 the first time we had the Power Stage? Because that became a feature of the year. Ogier doing the double on this quite often. He won in Mexico, winning 16 out of 23 stages and another Power Stage success. Same again in Portugal. And in Portugal, he finished more than three minutes ahead of Miko Hievenen. <laughs> It, I mean, it's, it was it's a madness, phenomenal it? start. It was a, quite a phenomenal start for for a, you know, a new driver with a new team and a new car. But you know what, David, you've already touched on it. It was, it was that structure at Volkswagen that allowed them to do that. I mean, your money is is a massive, massive driver of success. That is quite clear. But you know, you you, you can take all the money in the world. Give me all the money in the world. Mm. Sit me down. I am not going to build a world rally team that's going to win first rally out. You have to have the right people. And that, that perfect structure they had from Capital, who, and I have to say, um, I have a massive amount of time for Jost Capital. He's, he's a massive rally man. He's, he's a rally fan through and through. Uh, but he's a man who understands the different elements of not just motorsport, but commerce. He understands selling cars. He understands marketing cars. He understands technology. He understands innovation. He understands how you've got to future-proof yourself as a company. Uh, and he understands, I think most importantly, from a team boss's point of view, George, you can maybe comment on this, he understands mm -hmm. how to get the best out of people. And, you know, to, to have that sort of start to the season at least just outlined there, you know, it's not just about the driver, it's not just about the car, it's about the team and the people, perhaps most importantly, driving the team at the top. George, is that a fair observation? <laughs> Absolutely, I was very, very impressed by by Yost's uh, approach to that whole uh, that whole uh, that whole team building exercise. Obviously, he'd he'd come in to inherit a, basically a, a, a very sound uh, Dakar team. Uh, I mean, I think it helped build it partly as well at various points. But he'd come from he'd come from from Ford as well, so he'd mm -hmm. he'd seen what happened at Ford at M Sport and and and, and George, he and Malcolm forget. he he and Malcolm had differences, you know, about how to go about things at times. Uh, and uh, that's not detracting from from either individual. They, they just had differences. He went into that team having, you know, taken all his experience from, from his whole career and a lot of it, you know, from his experience with, with Ford and M-Sport and then said, this is how I'm going to build my team. Obviously, with, with you know, a different set of budget restraints, he went in and he cared for everyone and everything so carefully. He wanted it to be absolutely, you know, yeah. the place you, you, if you were working there, you wanted to work there. If you, if you wanted to work there and you got to work there, you were going to be happy. He was going to make it his business. The result was he had a happy team that just pulled their weight and wanted to deliver mm -hmm. for him all the time. But that, that was from it, the driver that, right down to the guy that loaded the van. But there was, you know, there was a there was there was a bunch of people there that, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Jost Capito, you know, and he's a he's a good mate and 
absolute genius at what he does. But there, there were people, you know, Chris Nissen had run the team with 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 the Dakar stuff, and then people like Willie Ramp as well, and Dieter Depping. You know, ultimately Carlos Sainz drove the car. You know, to have these experts in their field to put these foundations in place, it was no surprise. Um, really, when you look back with you know hindsight, is is obviously a great thing, but. Everything was there, uh, and then Ogier was the final piece. Um, and if any, you know, if there's anybody that I would feel a little bit sorry for in in that four years, it's got to be Yari Matti Latvala, who arrived there thinking this is it. You know, finally, I not finally. That's you know, we don't want to detract. He was given every opportunity with M Sport, but he got to VW and thought, right, okay, now, um, you know, full factory effort again. Um, and he, he was demolished, absolutely taken apart by Ogier. You know, he was destroyed at the end of 16. He, you know, he didn't know if it was this ramp angle or if it was Wednesday. You know, he just had no clue. Um, how much of that is editor. also, because this is something I want to talk on about Ogier the man as well in this 2013 year, that, that fantastic start um, and the winning kind of changed his mentality because he, he did have a bit of a blip in the middle of the year. Argentina, there were handbrake problems. Uh, in Greece, yeah. he had a bit of bad luck there with a the puncture and, and some fuel problems as well. But he did still get the bonus points from the power stage. But this... Ogier then was finding that any kind of not success, I'm not going to call failure but any kind of not success wasn't good enough because he then went through the year where he was winning rallies you know he was only losing two or three stages per rally but he was using that as a weapon against his teammate because he but was this, getting into what? Yari Matty's head but this lease this this that that season the middle of that season in 13 that fed all of the essentially the Ogier haters the people who who had had you know taken side with Sebastian Loeb through Citroen it was another reason that they could point to him and say look he's a spoiled driver he's Undoubtedly, you know, there were difficulties when when he joined Volkswagen and when he started there. And to have a team built around you, it, it did change his character. And he, I think it's fair to say he became quite arrogant. But in the middle of all of this, he was the most driven person. And one thing that Ogier simply wouldn't accept was failure. Mm. He didn't put the car off. He, he very rarely crashed. He wasn't willing to accept that if something broke on the car, why did it break? And it just, you know, at that time, he was so impatient for success and so desperate for it. Equally, you know, a rider to all of that is that he changed and he evolved enormously within those four years. And one of my biggest regrets in this sport is that people don't appreciate what a fundamentally decent bloke he has become. Uh, you know, and I, I, I think, think you know a lot of a lot of this, a lot of this, a lot of this has has come yeah. through fatherhood. You know, we saw that change that changed him quite a lot and success. But in this in this 2013 year, the middle bit, those those results you refer to there, Lise, that absolutely sort of defined Ogier at that time. David, I I I have to disagree with you. I have to disagree with you uh, on one one statement you just made there. A thoroughly decent bloke he's become. Yes, he's become a, a different person since fatherhood, and it, it's a delight to see. It really is a delight to see. But I don't think it's just since fatherhood. It's since he achieved what he had to do. He was driven. He's always been a decent yeah. bloke. He's always had a thorough sense of where he's at and what he's about. And, and your arrogance, I'm not sure. I, I think you summed it up perfectly. If you've taken arrogance out of your summary, I'd have 100% agreed with you. He was driven. He was focused. He knew what he had to do and he knew you know, what he wanted to do and he knew what he had to do to get there. And, and that, no, that, I... was, that was about battling. It was about being ruthless. It was about being I... single-minded. 
I definitely think in in thirteen, you know, there was so much, essentially, so much opulence around Volkswagen. You know, they had their own drivers' room. They had, oh, you know, not a huge room, but they had their own space. They had PR people coming out of their ears. You know, there was nothing too much. Uh, everything was done for them, and I think. I would say for for a while in 2013, you know, it it did have an effect on him. Maybe, uh, maybe. for me that you know that's just that's 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 my view. Uh, and you know, I heard a, a number of incidents within the team where, you know, Sebastian would try to to overrule or try to do something that he wanted to do, and you know, it took some very very strong management from Jos Capito to 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 put him right and remind him that actually Volkswagen Motorsport was definitely bigger than him. Uh, but as well, I say, this was a very brief period um, but in his development. Into, we're going to move on, obviously, shortly, but there's, there's, there's obviously important things to conclude in this year. But, David, what was the year where there was a really wobbly patch? Was that 2014 or was that 2015? There was a real wobble. We'll come on Capito. to that. But, yeah, I just want to check. Uh... It's not tw- I think it was 2014. And there was, there, was talk of, there was talk of him. Yeah, and he was leaving, wasn't he? He, he was, was leaving. He, but, uh, yeah. but we will we will come on to that. But just to put that into your mind, David, just so you can think about that when we get there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, he had the. T- I mean, so good was Sebastian Ogier in this year. He won Sweden, Mexico, Portugal, second in Argentina, Italy, Finland. Both of those winning Finland for the first time, second in Monte Carlo. I should have said at the beginning of that as well. Um, had that blip in the middle of the season, but we, we were getting to the point. That he could have won the title in Germany, but he had a problem with the front left suspension. Um, did climb back up to uh, get another oh, power stage Australia. win. This is where these power stage wins oh. were getting quite useful. Australia was the real chance oh, to become champion. <laughs> <laughs> and his, his mum and dad were there, I remember. That yeah. all came down to the power stage. And Mikko Hervonen. Ruined in, it. <laughs> in, sneaked in, took an extra point on the power stage. And you, <laughs> and we had to wait. And in some ways, it probably suited Volkswagen better because you know it was to be their first title. You know, winning in, winning anywhere in the world, winning a championship anywhere in the world is a fantastic achievement. But you know, if you're talking about the marketing and if you're talking about the marketing value, it clearly is better if it's in the same time zone as as your main audiences. And uh, Australia would have been the middle of the night for most people. So we came to France after that, and. You know, that well, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. They just, let's just point out the fact that Sebastian Ogier did everything he possibly could oh, yeah. to win yeah. it in Australia. Yeah, 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 19, yeah. 19 of the 22 stages he won. Mm. And he did lose it, as you say, on that power stage. Miko <laughs> Hirvonen getting a puncture. Sebast- uh, Thierry Neuville taking second place, which means that Ogier was still just one point away. And as you say, Colin, Rally France ah. was next on the calendar. It really was. And if you remember, uh, it was quite incredible because there was something very unique about Rally of France that year. It was the mm, opening power stage. stage. It was the power stage. The opening stage yeah. of the rally, it was in Strasbourg, in the city centre itself, right by the European Parliament there. Uh, and it was quite phenomenal because Ogier was on the road, I think in that power, in that power stage, just before Loeb. Uh, and I, I remember I got a photograph of Ogier and Ingracia celebrating their first victory on top of the car, and they were holding hands on top of the car and saluting the crowds. And framed in between the two of them was the big screen. And being interviewed at the stop line on the big screen was Loeb, with a deflated look on his face. You could but, see Loeb uh, in the car, you could see it, and it was the changing of the guard in that picture at that moment. It was, it was but, incredible. 
I've got to jump in there, Colt, and and I was at the end of that stage as well. And you are exactly right. And that picture told its own story. But Ogier was over the moon, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but just as a mark of of what a great man Sebastian Loeb's become as well, he got straight out of his Absolutely. car and was straight over there. And the two of them, you know, they had been the biggest, fiercest rivals. Uh, and they put their arms around each other, and and it was incredible, and it was genuine respect, and it was a couple of, was it the year after? I think it was the year after because you know they had that moment, and they were all great mates again. But you know there was still needle there, but uh, you know it it it's just once, <laughs> absolutely. But it just remained in my mind that Loeb got out of the car and went and did exactly the right thing, mm-hmm. uh, and then I think it was twelve months later when was it when Loeb came back um, and did just a. A handful of out- outings. I can't remember, but it was a year later or so, uh, and the two of them were sat on a bench just chatting away. Um, and suddenly, actually, Lise, can we just get all of this because I can't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, well, we'll, but I think they were just—they we, we were essentially just chatting, sense, yeah. and it was like they'd both kind of got over all of the Citroen stuff. Um, and matured into something. Uh, do, but do you know what it reminds moment... me of with those two? It reminds me of kind of John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg and the fact that they had yeah. a great battle for such a short time, really, and and kind of it didn't go on long enough for us fans. To really enjoy it yeah. and savour it. Yeah, no, exactly. Though you're quite right, and it would have been... And that's kind of why, in some ways, I wish that Ogier had gone to M Sport in 2012. Because, you know, we would have had another great year because we never really got a, a proper year of them both in different cars, did we? You know, Loeb had, had mm. gone uh, by the time the 13 came around. Um, and, and, yeah, and, as in, and to sum up that time. 2013, nine wins for Sebastian Ogier, nine rally wins, 11 podiums, 111 special stages. That was 44.8% of the season that he won. Seven power stages, and that means 28 points from those power stages, um, and a total of 290 points in the championship, which is a rec- was a record for uh, WRC. I mean, if you're going to make a statement about a new car and being in a new team, that's one yeah. way to make a statement, isn't it? It, it is. Uh, Are you, you know, still there, George, by the way? Uh, I, I am, actually. Listening, I was just going to say this. Di- listening very diligently, because if you recall, <laughs> I wasn't... Uh, I was still doing my Subaru thing and, 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 and a bit of radio at the time, so I wasn't so deeply in, as involved uh, as you guys were. Uh, but um, just a, another another point to, to mention about Seb and perhaps the, the, the reason for some of his work ethic. Uh, works rally teams, when they come in, uh, have not got a great track record of bouncing in right at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Hyundai came in, you know, they had a... They had a a lot of hard work before they started to get great success. They got their first podium only after, what, three events, which was pretty good. It was a while until they got a win. Um, you know, you go backwards down through the, the, the ages. A lot of factory teams have come in and they've really struggled. You know, Skoda didn't really do that well. Um, mm. Hyundai, you know, first time round. Hyundai, first time round. You know, go back Suzuki. to... La- Mm. Latterly, the Subaru factory rally team, you know, didn't have a lot of success in the last three or four years of its existence. Like maybe even maybe More even up that, to George. five. five years, Mitsubishi, yeah, yeah Mitsubishi mm. also struggled. So to come in with a factory team, it's not a given that it's going to succeed. Even even given uh, Volkswagen's heritage, factory teams can sometimes be 
very lazy and and and, and actually, you know, they're they're filled with cronyism, and, mm. and you know, that's something that you that 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 Yost had to probably overcome to some extent when he built that team. So I'm not not trying to turn this around to be a story about Jos Capito, but I think yeah, he's uh, an integral part for of it. Sure, George. it must have been it must have been a factor mm. for uh, for uh, for Seb to go there. And I mean, bearing in mind, it took M Sport ten years before they won the Manufacturers Championship. Ten years. And arguably the car they came in with, that, that Focus was an unbelievably good car right out the box. They did an amazing mm. job with it. Still took them 10 years to win. I think we need to time. move along it, a little bit. Sorry. Just, but, no, 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 don't apologise at all, George. Sorry, sorry to interrupt there, but we do kind of need to move on to his other five championships because that's just the first. 2013, I mean, just a dream year for both uh, Sebastian Ogier and Volkswagen. But... Things not quite so straightforward in 2014. I know eight wins, 10 podiums, 94 stage wins sounds great on paper, but but all was not well in paradise. It, it wasn't. And do you remember, I'm sure we all remember, there was that jinx, wasn't there, that started in 13 and went on to 14 when they couldn't win Germany. Um, their home round mm. you know in 13 it was all quite amusing because you know they won pretty much everything came to Germany didn't win it everybody you know for whatever reason uh, had issues and then the next year in 14 uh, there was the, I th- he crashed twice didn't he did he yeah. yes he was did that... on, on one the... was quite serious wasn't it was quite yeah. an impressive yeah. one no, should we say he fell mm. off the road so the, the first crash was uh, it was it was in the vines wasn't it and it was it was the, maybe yeah. the first stage he, he, he took a cut on quite a fast left-hander. Uh, he he took right. a cut, went a little deeper in than he should have, and he bent the front left uh, suspension, didn't he? Um, and it was that the same year. That may have been the first year, because the year he had two crashes, two really bad crashes, was the year that he fell off the road. Remember that? He fell off the vines when they'd, they'd sat at the start. It was coming back, George. It was the um, Mosul vine stage, I think it was. Uh, they, they were coming back towards Trier, so they got out along the vines, they were coming yeah. back. There was a delay on the stage, it was the last stage of the day. Huge numbers of fans going at the stage. Ogier was first on the start line, and he sat for about 15 or 20 minutes, maybe a bit more than that, before they got the green light to run the stage. Clearly he was distracted, things were cold. Within a few kilometres, he'd gone off, and, and if you, you know how these vineyards are structured, he went off the road and he dropped, and, and he seemed to go yeah. miles down, and... and you know, he was he was miles off the road, and then someone saw him driving back to Trier on another road, and that was it. His rally was over. Um, it was. And then bizarre. the next, the next, the Saturday morning was a proper one, though, wasn't it? Oof. That was the where that he was went. The scary did one. he not go straight straight through the Armco or under it or Oof. right by the demolished. motorway? Right yeah. by the motorway again. The start of the stage, first stage of the morning. It was damp. Yeah. It was slippery. There was a lot of that mulchiness on the road. Um, and he he just got it wrong, and it was it was he was very lucky. They were both very very lucky, and for Ogier to make two such massive mistakes in two consecutive stages as it was, um, it was unheard yeah. of. It was absolutely yeah. unheard of. Yeah. Interesting yeah. dynamics in the team at that point as well, because Lackfeller also retired from Germany, but we also had Andreas Mikkelsen on the scene, and I think by the end of Germany, <laughs> Volkswagen knew that the drivers' title would go to one of their drivers. It would be one of the three of them. It was. It was all it, one thing. One point we should reference there in that in that rally Germany. That was, of course, the brilliant year that Thierry Neville rolled at shakedown uh, and came back to win uh, <laughs> yeah. on Sunday. Uh, one of the very few times that the, the WRCs made it onto BBC Breakfast. Um, but yeah, moving on. Uh, 
that some things were not right Lise. you know you mentioned there that you know everything wasn't right in paradise it really wasn't in the middle of that year and i have a a re- recollection that around that time in Germany, there was an awful lot going on in the background. I think they'd all signed, so Latvala, Mikkelsen, and Auger all had three-year deals, didn't they? From twelve, oh, obviously not uh, not well, Latvala, not, Mik- um, not Mikkelsen either. Mikkelsen signed later on, didn't he? he? No, I think they all. I think they all had a, a. Well, I think they were all up for contract renewal at the end of fourteen. That was my mm-hmm. memory, but for sure. Everything had gone a little bit pear-shaped uh, between Ogier and and Capito uh, at the time. And I remember, you know, you'd walk into the place and there was almost two camps within Volkswagen. That, you know, there was there was the, the management camp uh, and then there was Ogier's camp. And it was, you know, there was obviously changing circumstances for Sebastian. I think around that time he was, you know, he was getting married. I'm sure it was a couple of years on before his, his obviously his son came along. Things were changing, and you know there were different stresses and strains. And he was a defending world champion. Um, and I don't know who knows exactly what happened, but for sure there was definite rumor that he was potentially going to be going elsewhere, potentially going to M Sport. Uh, and I'm sure you know we we need to to talk to Malcolm and to Sebastian and talk about how far did their negotiations go at that time um, because it was very very difficult. And I. I'm sure you had the same, Col and and you, George. You know there were briefings going on from both sides, um, and and when you get to that point where people are taking you as a journalist to one side and saying, "Don't forget, you know, um, this happened and this happened, and now we're talking about this and this," it's not a great state of affairs. Uh, and and we were there, and that that accident and that moment in in Germany, I think, could have been a a, a product of that. Um, mm. But it got sorted, and it got it got sorted ultimately quite quickly. Um, and by the end of that year, if we could just scoot along, I think whenever it was, it'd be around Spain time or something. They 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 announced the deal that they were the three drivers were staying again. And I remember Capito giving interviews talking about having the best drivers in the world, uh, and everything was smoothed over. Um, and maybe again, George, that's just a mark of of, of what a great man manager and team manager uh, Capito was. I mean, if we talk about why that happened, you, you can you can usually. I mean, I would I would obviously have to, to fall down on the side of Jost Capito here, um, because uh, having been a team manager and, and, mm. and dealing with drivers at that level, um, it can get very difficult. And it can. I mean, it, it, um, obviously Seb Ogier's life changed. You know, his management system changed. His, mm. his wife became quite involved in it. And there would be flexing of muscles in different directions, all sorts of things going on. Mm. And I rather suspect that uh, it was all to do with that. I, I, I would almost wager my last uh, my last dollar, which I'm always very close to, incidentally, um, the, uh, that, that, that Jos didn't change anything in his approach. Mm. You know, and and uh, in the end, the other people would come back to him because he had the best team. You'd be daft to leave this team, guys. Mm-hmm. So, I had to lift the money a little bit, but that would have been about it. Okay, so 2014, not the greatest. Uh, uh, Ogier, the eighth driver to take a second World Rally Championship crown, fourth to do it in two years in a row. And, um, Julian Ingrassia, the first French co-driver to be crowned twice. So we move on to 2015, and still with Volkswagen, still co-driven by Julian Ingrassia, and then they won the first round of Monte Carlo, um, Sebastian Loeb was back for that event. Do you remember? Oh yeah, that was his his comeback and mm. that first stage <laughs> that gave oh, everybody that was a so like. Much, oh so my. much fun! <laughs> so much fun! 
But, but here's the thing. Here's, can I tell you a little story about that one? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to tell you, to keep regaling with, with, with the odd little story. But, you know, what I remember about that Monte Carlo rally that year was, was the wonderful battle between Loeb and Ogier. And, you know, who can forget that opening stage? Loeb was just absolutely imperious. There was so much snow and ice on that stage. It was really tricky. He came through. He blew everyone away. Second stage Thursday evening, Ogier hit back, and I think he may have taken 15 or 20 seconds out of him. The swings in that evening and then into the next day were just incredible. And that's the way it went into day two. And I remember there was a loop of three stages on day two, and again it was going backwards and forwards between Loeb and Ogier. And I remember the stage before the lunchtime service, maybe in the first stage out of service, actually. It was the stage out of service, so the first stage of the afternoon. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, Ogier would have been first on the road because he was the defending champion. It was the first rally of the year. He was first on the road. And he came into the stop line, and it was, a, it was a long stage. It was a difficult, icy stage. And the door opened. The TV guys went in to ask the question. And the question was asked, and Ogier looked round, and he looked at me, and he pointed at me, and he said, no, if he is here, I am not answering anything. And I thought, what have I done? What have I done? You know, what, what, what is this all about? Um, how have I upset him? And it really, really worried me. And for the rest of the day, I'm thinking, what have I done to upset this guy? You know, I'm sure I haven't said anything particularly that would upset him. So I went to find him in the evening. And I said, look, Seb, I'm really sorry if I've done something that's upset you out there today. Um, and he said, what are you talking about, Colin? I don't know what you're talking about. I said, at the end of that first stage out of service, you, you didn't want to talk because I was there. And he went, no, 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 no. He said, I knew that, that, that Loeb's team would be listening. I knew they would be listening. He was starting, remember, 10 cars oh. back from <laughs> yes. Yes. He said, I knew the team would be listening. I knew he hadn't started the stage, and I didn't want to give him any information. It was nothing to do with you. I just <laughs> didn't want to give him any information. <laughs> and I went, I mean, it was for me, it was what relief. A relief. What a thought, relief, yeah. What, what a relief. What a relief, George. Honestly, I, was, I felt sick all afternoon. I, I don't like to upset anyone. I know I do sometimes, but I don't like to upset anyone. And, um, but again, it just shows you, you know, he, he, was, he was clever enough, he was sharp enough to work out you know, what was going on and that he, he knew in the same position he would be doing the same thing, his team would be doing the same thing. So no, he wasn't going to say anything, wasn't going to give any information away that could in the slightest help his opponent. As it turned out, <laughs> Loeb went and crashed on that stage, or it may have been the next one. Mm. Um, but um, but there we go. It was it was for me. It was just a mark of, of how clever, how quick, quick witted the guy can be at times. I think you know for me the, the the thing that we have to. If you asked me which was which was Ogier's best year, I, I think this was probably it in fifteen because it. I'm sure it was the start of fifteen that we talked to briefly about this earlier about the the regulation changes. Um, and it was mm. that year that they changed. Or we talked about regulation change in, the, in part one of this podcast. But it was this, the start of 15, where I'm sure they put the championship leader ran first on the road on essentially Friday and Saturday um, and Thursday night, obviously. Um, and for any driver to 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 win from the front after two days is is exceptional and he did that mm. and one of the best events i remember vividly talking to him at the end of mexico when he'd won he won multi sweden and mexico first three rounds in in 15 is that right lise he, i'm sure he won sweden he did yes in the very last stage yeah. andreas mickelson made a mistake on the last stage exactly in that ski slopey bit yeah. wasn't it yeah. yes yeah, yeah yeah so so he came to Mexico knowing that he got to do 
uh, Friday and Saturday, first on the road. In fact, on Saturday, I think if you super rally, did you go? Rally front? I can't remember. Maybe rally two, whatever they call it now. Uh, whatever. But he knew he was in the worst of conditions Friday, Saturday, and he still won. And I remember talking to him at the end of that event on a Sunday afternoon. And he, you know, he was he was lost for words. And and his feeling was, you know, it can't get better than this. They've tried to put me down, tried to keep me down, but I'm still winning. Uh, and a huge amount of satisfaction for him. Um, and of and, course, you know, led VW to that one, two, three in Germany as well, which his team was craving. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, throughout that year, you know, relations between Ogier and the FAA were completely broken. You know, at every opportunity, you know, he was giving it a two-fingered salute to, to Yamo <laughs> Mahanen and, and, and all of these, these people who all he could see was them trying to essentially, unfairly in his eyes, um, weight the, the game in favour of the other drivers. Uh, and that was, was it 15 or 16 when we had that massive spat with, with him and, and Padden in Argentina? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what effectively the FI were doing. They, they were, they were uh, you're rewriting the regulations to stop one man. Yeah. Uh, and and, and you, yeah. you could, you know, and, and you know, the spat in Argentina was another one where I think he was misunderstood. Um, yeah, mechanical problems you know, as well, and had to retire from the rally. In Argentina. Yeah. In Argentina, yeah. We've, ended, we've sorry, jumped ended, forward a year ended there, 17, we? Ended in 17th, but did win the, the power stage because he is king of the power stage. Yeah, yeah. We, we, I, sorry, apologies. This weird David and I had jumped forward slightly there to, have, to Argentina you? in 20, yeah. 2016. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll come on to that then. But can I tell you another little story? Am I allowed to tell another little story? Yes, you are. I'm allowed to tell a story. That's very kind of you. Because <laughs> you know, I, I am, I am a bit of a fanboy when it comes to Ogier. I, I really am, and I, and I will defend him to the hill. And not that he needs defending, but, but as David said earlier on. I, you know, I genuinely believe he is misunderstood mm. by an awful lot of fans. And I think what he does is he gives, he gives people who, who really can't form their own opinions, um, he gives them ammunition at times. He, he does give them ammunition, and they just go with the herd, and they just spout some absolute nonsense about him. And, and that year in Argentina with the padding thing was, was case in point. But he, for, for me, it is about you know, his determination to be a world champion. You know, there aren't many world champions at all in this world. And, and it takes a very special sort of person to become world champion in any discipline. Mm. Um, and you need to be focused and determined and single-minded and ruthless. And for people to criticize those traits, for me, is, is, is completely wrong. It is completely wrong, particularly when we know that behind an awful lot of what we see as the public persona is very good reasoning, very good reasoning, as we've talked about the spat with the FIA. But a little story, a little story about Mexico that year. So the, the, the year that you said, David, he was, he was almost uh, lost for words at the end of the stage. I remember it was very odd that year because on that final day, they had a, you know, the autodrome stage in Mexico. Mm. They were a little super special. It ran as the opening stage of the day, uh, unusually on the Sunday. It was quite a short Sunday, but the autodrome ran and there was, there was no one there. It was really early in the morning, about eight o'clock, I seem to remember. And, you know, the drivers had got there early. The stop line, very close to where they grouped for the start of the stage. So we were there early, and I'd gone across to have a little chat. I remember Chris Meek was there and one or two others. Because I think Chris Meek was there that year. He was, wasn't he? Because uh, I think he was. Can't remember. There were one or two other drivers there. And um, we got talking. We got talking about the cowboy boots. The winner of Rally Mexico <laughs> always gets a pair of cowboy boots, handmade I almost said beautiful, but these ones weren't beautiful, sadly. <laughs> but, but handmade cowboy boots. And... 
we got chatting to them, and I was saying to, to Seb, what would you do with these cowboy boots? And he said, oh, it's a real problem, Colin, because, because my wife, um, she can't stand them because of the smell of the leather. She said, so I get them home for a week or two, and they're in the cupboard, and, and eventually she makes me do something with them and move them. I said, I tell you what, Seb, I've got a lovely pair of pink patent cowboy boots that don't smell. So if you win today, if you win today, we'll do a little swap, shall we? And he laughed and he went, yeah, 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 fair enough, God, we'll do that. So anyway, he did go on to win. I'd forgotten all about it. And then we got eventually that year to Sardinia. And I remember, uh, you know, because I'm, as you know, I, when it comes to finding food, I, I'm an absolute scavenger. And it was the Saturday night and Volkswagen used to do some really lovely food for the, uh, mm. for the media people. So I'd gone into the Volkswagen area. I'd sat down to get my wonderful gourmet meal uh, in Sardinia. And uh, Seb was on the other side of the, the dining area. And he said, that he, he called me across. And I thought, oh, God, I've done something again. I've said something again. What can it be? Or why is he calling me across? And he said, oh, come on, come on, come here, come here, come here. So I went across. And then he sent his man, Willie, Willie Verhoeven. Isn't it? Was yep. his name? Willie, Willie Verhoeven, yeah. Well, he sent him. He said, Willie, go and get that bag for me. Go and get that bag for me. So Willie scuttled off into the back of the, the motorhome. And he came out with this bag. And he said, Colin, he said, there you go. Those are for you. And I thought, what the heck is that? And I opened the bag. The cowboy boots from Mexico. He brought them to Sardinia with him. He'd remembered. And I was just, I was absolutely dumbfounded. And all I could say was, uh, I'll put the pink ones in the post for you then. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, went, he went, Colin, I tell you what, you keep your pink cowboy boots. So, so, so to this day, I, I mean, I must be just about the uh, one of very few people in the world who own a pair of pink cowboy, cowboy boots. boots. <laughs> they've gone they're in the skip that's where we came in. in the skip they've gone they've gone but i still have the winning cowboy boots and he was quite right they do smell very strongly of leather they're that's not a nice pretty. smell though. i wouldn't wear them i wouldn't wear them but uh but but again you know the, the reason i tell that story is it's just to show the sort of man he is mm. he, you know he is a lovely caring considerate guy don't mix that character with the athlete, with the performer, with the driver, because he can separate the two. The two characters are very, very different, and they need to be. They absolutely need to be to, to achieve the level of success that he has. Mm. Let's just wrap right. up 2015. Um, he won the title in Australia uh, with Gillian Gracia by his side, of course. Um, I think he won all the remaining stages... I'll tell you what he did do. He ruined my Spain report. Absolutely <laughs> well, ruined yes, it. That oh. was it was one of those, one of those unbelievable. moments where Sunday afternoon I was sitting very smugly in the press office thinking, yep, <laughs> that's my report done. You deserve this, you know that. <laughs> and then staring, staring at the screen thinking, good Lord, Latvala's had an enormous act. That's not Latvala. Oh, my God. That's Sebastian Roger. And that's a complete rewrite. That's in the, next the very five last hours stage of, of the rally. Yeah. No, that was a shot. No, he hit a guardrail. He was did. Right? He bounced uh, off he, it, didn't he? And yeah, spun cool. it round. Came out too quick. Then that gave that gave Andreas Mikkelsen his first ever win, didn't yep. it? Yes. Yeah, that was quite cool actually at the finish line, wasn't it? When when yeah. Mikkelsen and Ulla uh, Flun actually realised they'd won. That was. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't worth a complete rewrite. Sorry, Andreas. I also got to yours. play the Andreas Mikkelsen song <laughs> for the one and only time I think on the that on well. WRC you know, live. Was, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the day where Latvala had, had given up on that fight with Mickelson to protect his championship points. Oh, uh, God. You know, I, think you're right, Colin, I think you're right. He just switched uh, right off and, and, and hemorrhage time, didn't he? 
Yeah. He did. And yeah. it was bizarre. It was biz- we were all thinking this is bizarre. It's, it's the battle for second place. As it transpired, it was effectively the battle for the win and Latvala had switched off. Mm. Very odd. Very odd. But anyway, okay. we're not talking about Latvala. That's another Let's day. jump on to 2016 and right to the, uh, the end of it because the end of 2016 was the year that we saw problems for the Volkswagen Motorsport team when Volkswagen, the company was hauled in for its emissions tests and it was when Volkswagen announced its withdrawal from WRC. Yeah, no, that was a that was a huge... I mean, it, that was a global story, wasn't it? Um, and Massive. for quite a long time, uh, we all thought... Well, we were told, you know, that obviously Volkswagen was continuing with the 2017 car and nothing was changing. Um, and then we were... Was it? I think it was just after Wales. They won the championship in Wales. They won the championship in Wales. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then was it not the day after? It was the yeah exactly the day or the Monday or Tuesday that it was announced that um, they were out of out of WRC. It was it was massive, absolutely huge, and you know that uh, up until that point it had been business as usual for 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 Sebastian. Um, It had a a, you know another great yeah one of for me just a brief story which we all can remember vividly uh poland you know where tanak should have won and another this is turning into a real kind of um appreciation of of ogier the man but you know poland when when tanak should have won and didn't and ogier went and put him on his shoulders you know at the finish Mm -hmm. that was remarkable some of the most emotional scenes at a rally finish yes. ever, uh, yeah. and cemented those two guys as 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 the best of buddies for forever. Um, Effectively, Tanak's home rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much, no, and and a rally he totally deserved to win. Um, yeah. Okay, you know the tire pressures and stuff were 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 whatever going into that last stage, and he, he knocked the tire off the rim, didn't he? Um, I can't yeah. re- I can't he, remember the exact he, details. He, he hit he hit. I mean, it was it was, a, it was a rut, it was a, an exposed rock, and it was a rock that had been. That had been dug out, and it was it was like uh, it was an embedded rock that had been dug out, and and unfortunately, you know, the other car seemed to hit it and cope with it, and his tire couldn't couldn't cope with it, as you mm. say, and it it uh, it knocked it off, and and it was it was really unfortunate. That I think was Mickelson again that benefited from that, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that went on to win that one. It, it, uh, but you're quite, it was. You're, you're quite right about Ogier there. It was it was uh, it was really quite something, quite quite mm. something to see that, and and again, you know. He, he, you know, we, we can keep talking about how misunderstood he is. Maybe he's not. Maybe no. maybe, maybe people do realise. My memories of uh, are Argent- my memories of not Argentina, but my <laughs> memories of Australia <laughs> in 2016. Quality, David. Quality. <laughs> yeah, I'm completely focused. It's not a Friday afternoon at all, is it? Um, uh, my memories of Australia 2016 were of arriving at that event and it was completely the end of an era you know it was the end of four years we knew they were going but at that time we didn't know where anybody was going uh you know mm. Ogier still was talking about testing the Toyota testing the the Fiesta um there was you know a huge amount of speculation about what he might or might not be doing uh and he did test the he did test the the Toyota it didn't work for him the car was quite shocking we all remember watching those those scenes of 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 the car you know it was completely almost on the on the border of being uncontrollable mm. uh it was astonishing watching that thing being driven in the wet by uh you know a multiple world champion but i wanted to talk very briefly about australia and Andreas Mickelson on that final day, the finest day that Mickelson had had up to that point and may well ever have in a mm. World Rally car when he beat Ogier, P3, 
pound for pound just did him in in stages that he absolutely loves and you know do you remember when the car came into the into the finish colt and then richard brown his brilliant engineer lovely lovely fella uh they'd made that sticker for the front uh and it said something like for hire didn't it and they That's stuck it. it on the front of the, of the car <laughs> but it, you know it was one of the most emotional moments for me that morning the sunday morning service the really early one um, when the team, somebody in the team, I can't remember who it was, put on that Adele song. Uh, you know, it's, it's that sort of 6 a.m. service where there's nobody there and the cars came in and Adele cracked into life with This Is The End. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. It was shocking. What did Horrendous. They, you know, as you say, when, when you say beat him in a fair fight, I, I'm, I'm, I would take slight exception to that in that, you know, that was, I think, the last year of running first on the road for two days. So Oje was still in the fight on that final day, but only because he'd driven like a demon on the first two days. You're right on that last day. Ab- absolutely, but across the final day, across the final day, um, he, had, he had the best of him on that day. But what do, do yeah. you think? Do you think? You know? Do you think that Oje clearly wanted to win that last rally? It was Volkswagen's last rally in the World Rally yeah. Championship. Do you think exactly. he thought about that much? Do you think he thought about the fact that he, he was the man He was the man that won the vast majority of their rallies? He won world championships for them. He carried their manufacturer yeah. challenge. Do, do you think that was is the sort of thing that maybe would sit with him? Or, or was it like, well, that's just another rally. I didn't win that one. There'll be another one. There is, there is no such thing as just another rally for people like Sebastian Ogier. They want to win everything. You know, it's what they're there for. It's what they're made for. Uh, and it would have stung. You know, because he went into that period, that winter of not knowing, you know, who was going where. And, and Mickelson, you know, he was fighting Latvala, wasn't he, for, for, the, for the Toyota seat. Mm. Hanninen, we knew Hanninen was there at Toyota, but there were two seats open. Um, and yeah, no, it, it would have really stung. But then that new, the news was huge when it became clear. Um, and, you know, there were several briefings with, with M Sport that, yes, you know, the test was happening and we got up there, we got some pictures. Um, and it was just, it was so cool to see Ogier in the Fiesta. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we've talked to Malcolm. Malcolm drove to Cardiff Airport, picked him up in the Rangey and drove him up to, to Walters. Uh, and just a great, great story uh, and a great achievement for Malcolm to put that deal together, you know, to put everything on the line uh, to bring that, that, that package home. Um, and it worked immediately, but, didn't it? But, you know, we, we talked... Sorry, we talk. can I, can I just ask you, that you said he drove the what to Cardiff to where? <laughs> the ra- Malcolm's Range Rover. Oh, Sorry, the Rangey. The Rangey, darling. That's what I thought you said. And then I thought, up, is that code for, is that, is that a nickname for one of his, did he pick him up in a rally car just for a laugh? You know? No, sorry. No, sorry. But do you know what? I mean, you know, that that's, Malcolm Wilson, he, it was Malcolm that did that deal. It was Malcolm that, that as you say, put everything on the line, David. And, uh, you know, he was very fortunate, or not for, well, he was fortunate to, to work for Jost Capito in his Volkswagen days. And then two years with Malcolm Wilson, you know, and he'd said before, I remember, I remember before the Volkswagen news, it was, it was, quite, it was quite prophetic almost. Before the Volkswagen news broke, uh, we did a, it was Wales Rally uh, yeah, GB. Rally, we the, did a rally for yeah, him and he was on the stage thing, and I think he was asked about a regret or something like that. And he said, you know, I regret not having the opportunity to work with Malcolm Wilson in my career so far. Something mm-hmm. along those lines. That's not the direct quote, but it was something like that. And then, lo and behold, less than a month later, he's working for him. And, and he was, in some ways, lucky to have worked for such really strong bosses that, that, that helped to, 
uh, really just give him what he wanted. And Malcolm, more than anyone, knew that you know for Ogier to succeed at M Sport, they had to give him everything he wanted. They had to do everything. There was no, there was no question that whatever developments were needed on that car, however they needed to set that car up uh, to make it drivable in Ogier's eyes, they just had to do it. Ogier was right every well, single uh, time, and he allowed them that. Otherwise, it was pointless. Yeah. You know, it was pointless investing the millions yeah. in, in Ogier if you weren't then going to essentially invest even more to give him the, the tools to do the job. Exactly. Because, you know, there's no doubt a driver like Ogier can make the difference, and he's, he's made the difference on numerous occasions. But he still needs, fundamentally, a car that is somewhere in the ballpark, doesn't he, George? Yeah, uh, you know, we've seen it so often, David. These, these drivers... The likes of the two Sebs, um, Carlos Sainz springs to mind as another unbelievably diligent worker. Will just work and work and work. And there's a few more. There's a few more, but they're they're not as effective. Um, uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna outline anyone for for saying yes or no. But Seb came in and quite clearly so motivated to win what an unbelievable opportunity Malcolm identified it you know just straight away I'm going to make this an absolute you know humdinger of a of an opportunity for me and for Seb and 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 they swung it it was so impressive so close so impressive such a close season as well Thierry Neuville really adding to the drama for the 2018 season yeah, I, I, there was. Well, was, we're still in. Are we still in seventeen? Twenty seventeen. Oh, seventeen. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> I've jumped ahead. I've jumped ahead. <laughs> so, no, it was. It was. It, it was incredibly close. And you know, you look back at, at the number of rallies that he won, Seb, and it wasn't that many in the season. It was what three, two or three or something like well, he, that. He won Monte Carlo, which was the first time M Sport had had won it since twenty. Since had won a rally since twenty twelve in Wales. Yeah, but then he didn't. Uh, Ogier didn't win again until I think Portugal, wasn't it? It was quite yep, late. That's right. Yep. It was. Um, it was a fen- in the season. It was a phenomenal year, David. We had I think seven or eight winners that year. Different winners. It, yeah. It, it was, was just the most phenomenal year. It, it really was, and it it was the kind of you went when you went to Volkswagen from a championship perspective. It was the worst thing that could have happened. Volkswagen took him. They took Latvala, and they took Mickelson. Three three drivers more than capable of winning. But when he went to M Sport, as you say, in 2017, you know, we had drivers in different teams that were capable of winning. And it was fantastic just the, you know, to see the competition, to see a different winner. Did we go six rallies in a row with different winners at one point in the year? I think we did, five or six I, rallies in a yeah. row, you know, where we had a different winner every time. Uh, you know, but Ogier was the one who, he never panicked about that. You know, he was a four times champion. There was a lot of pressure on him. And he... It was really the first time we saw quite a different game plan from him. It wasn't all about winning rallies in 2017. It was about winning the title. 18 points. And it was, what was it? I'm sure it was 18 points, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, 18 he points. 18 points per e- round. Exactly. And he knew he would get that through. 18 points was what? It was a third place, a third place in the rally, a third place in the power stage. That gives power you 18 stage. points. Yeah. And, and he knew that. And it was a different approach from Ogier. And, uh, you know, it was quite interesting watching Cole, that transformation. Us- I was going to say, can you talk us through that um, Wales Rally GB from because we are short of time, but that oh. 2017 win in Wales and the emotion for the M Sport oh. team. I, you know what? I was at the stop line there. It was up at Limbrenig, 
in North Wales uh, next to the lake. And it was just phenomenal because don't forget that was a rally that Elvin Evans won, the first rally that Elvin Evans won. It was the first rally that DMAC had won. It was a confirmation of the driver's title for Sebastian Ogier. And was it confirmation of the manufacturer's title for M Sport as well, David? I think it was, yep. wasn't it? Yes, it was. So yeah. it, was, it, it, was, it was just the most phenomenal stop line. You know, clearly Evans was, was over the moon. It was a great drive from Elvin there. And Ogier was there and, and celebrated, you know, just as much as, as clearly Elvin did. It was, it was a tremendous team spirit that year at M Sport. You know, the, the smallest team in the service park, the biggest star in the service park, the hardest workers in the service park and the biggest celebrations next to Lim Brennig that Sunday afternoon. You know, one of those occasions you don't forget, Lise. I, I missed a little bit of that. I was slightly distracted by a, by a text. Uh, but that Saturday... <laughs> it's an interesting indeed. text. Come on, <laughs> Fill us in, <laughs> fill us in. It was, <laughs> fill us in. It was just a, 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 merely a text... Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> about the John Armstrong story that's just gone up on, on dirtfish.com which actually doesn't need any attention from me. Uh, but that Sunday is the one that Malcolm now refers to. You know, we talked about Super Saturday at the Olympics. That was Malcolm's Super Sunday. You know, within 20 minutes or something, uh, as you said, you know, Ogier, world champion, uh, Evans, um, rally winner. And then, you know, the the manufacturers. It was, you know, he, Malcolm said, you talk to him now about it, and he kind of says, you know, it will never be as good as that again. Um, and it's, it was. I, you were at the stop line, Carl. I was in in the middle of the the job with with M Sport back in service, and the emotions that went on there. You know, there were those. There was just champagne galore. It was unbelievable. It was just the most fantastic day, and absolute just desserts, absolute reward for for the investment that Malcolm had put in. But it immediately led us to this question mark again of what. You know what would he be doing uh, the following year? Because Malcolm had made it clear there was only money for one year. Um, but then, you know, as is often with the case with Malcolm, he couldn't help himself. Could he? He had to to bring him back for another year, um, and it paid. It paid not quite the same handsome dividend because he didn't get the manufacturer side, but he got a back-to-back title with with seven eighteen as well. And so far, Sebastian Ogier's final world rally title. Um, 2019, he mm. heads back to Citroen, but no title for him. Oh. No, and you've got to say, you know, no, no chance of a title there. It's, you know, he he got that one badly wrong, or something went badly wrong. There was one point I wanted to make, and I I was determined not to say, you know, this proves what a decent chap he is again. But when he came to M Sport in at the start of seventeen, it was such a different place. You know, where we talked about, you know, the the luxury that he lived in in, in Volkswagen. You live in a great deal of luxury in uh, in M Sport as well, but it's not quite the same. You know, you have to share space with with customer drivers and 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 this and it's and it is it does take some drivers a little bit of time just to to understand that essentially at M Sport you're all equal. Um, and I remember there was there was a few moments where where Sebastian and was was just sort of playing himself into this. By the end of it, he loved it. He absolutely, mm. you know, Mick the chef, everybody, Elaine. They're all, you know, one big family. Um, and to be, I was lucky enough to be present at the sort of send-off um, for Seb and Julian from Dunby uh, at the end of 18. And it was incredible. It was just like 
a big family party. Uh, it, it was amazing. And, you know, the, the emotions to see Ogier leaving Malcolm, um, it, it, was, it was amazing. So, uh, but yeah, Citroen, wow. And that, a two-year uh, contract, tellingly, as well, in 2019. Yeah, how did that two-year contract thing play out? Prematurely. <laughs> 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 Yeah, but what's the deal with those contracts generally, George? You know, you know, if if the team pulls out halfway through, do they pay out the drivers normally? Yeah, they do. Wow, um, it's pretty solid actually. I've seen a few uh, lawsuits going going through there. If it ever it gets to any court, um, usually comes down on the side of the driver. Wow, mm. wow. Which way that, around that, was it? That, every, every time. Which way but, around was it? Was it OJ uh, saying he was leaving Citroen? No, no, no. No, it's, it, here's how it played had, out, Lise. Oh. It, it started in Germany, where he was seventh. Nowhere. The car was shocking. On a rally where Ogier, you know, okay, he'd had some issues with, with the VW, but that would have been a rally for him, for sure. Uh, and you'd have said the, the Citroen in the past has been strong there. But it Absolutely. just went badly, badly wrong. Uh, end of that Sunday night in the debrief, Ogier said to them, sort it or I'm off. And quite simply, they didn't sort it. And it got to the end of the mm. year, and there just wasn't enough. And then suddenly, that bombshell of Tanak going... Um, and Ogier could see a way out, uh, but it was it all you know. There were legal complications um, yeah. to get him out I mean, of there. I mean, it depends on how cleverly somebody has written their their uh, their contract. And I mean, I mean, I've I've seen I've seen some fairly loose contracts where people have been bound all manner of ways. Uh, uh, it, it can be, it can it can be you know if a team is slack and a driver's manager is is slick. The, the the advantage lies with the driver, and it's the same in, in the reverse case. Yeah. Um, but there's usually a performance clause um, mm. in there. And honestly speaking, would you want to keep a driver that's not wanted to be with you? Wow. I mean, there are cases where where drivers, drivers have had to pay, or drivers management companies have had to pay the full driver fee equivalence to the team. Wow. Was, this, was that Burnsy in 01 then? <laughs> when he went to when he went to Persia, sorry, George. In O two, in O two, yeah, yes, yes, or the was, end of O. Yeah. There, there was, um, there, there was all sorts of business around that. I will not go into the detail of it, but it was a trick, you know. It was mm. a trick. I mean, it, the Pro Drive contract, the Subaru contract, was was a good, solid contract, mm. and um, I mean, it was very, very clear in, in the contract that if if Richard um, if Richard was world champion the team had first option on him. Mm. Why would you want to leave a team that you've just become world champion with? Mm. And it, it went to the high court, didn't it, that? Um, it did, because I remember DK it, David Williams going there to report it. I think it got very close it. to the court. I think, no, it, it, I think it, it's... Did it actually go into it, the court? Yeah, because it? David Williams, being the consummate professional that he was, he was in there wow. reporting as a court reporter. Wow. Right. Uh, guys, so can, we just, can we just say... But, what, what, just, no, just while we're talking about lawsuits... Um, I said at the start there that you know we talked we talked about uh, what have you done? No, Colin? no, nothing. <laughs> well, we talked about you know I asked the question, George. You know, if a team pulls out, does a driver get paid? Um, clearly, the team pulled out after Roger had announced his intention to leave. We'll yeah. just make that clear, just I in case was... anyone at yeah, sits that's, in, that's yeah. what I was get... confused about because it was also yeah. Sport who broke the story, I believe. Exactly, that Roger yeah. was yeah, leaving yeah. for Toyota with that's a year exactly. left in the contract. Yeah, and Citroen. Yeah, but that was a, that was a really yeah. weird. That was a really weird communication. Another one of weird communication from Citroen, wasn't it? To say that essentially without their number one driver and then without any other drivers who were capable, 
you know, Esapeka Lappi, excuse me, you know, that they've forgotten about yeah. him, um, who weren't capable of challenging for rally wins. That was it. It was all very, very strange, very odd. Odd. Uh, but quite inevitable once there was a seat open at Toyota. Yeah, it was mutually beneficial at the end of the day. Citroen had lost the appetite, perhaps, to, to continue, and uh, mm. Seb got the opportunity, so it kind of all just fell into place. So briefly, Toyota. Oof. Well, he's just warming up, isn't he? He's just warming up. You know, we looked at Monte Carlo. Yes, he didn't win, and he's the master at Monte Carlo. But you know what? We, we saw that with Evans as well, didn't we, in the Toyota? That you know, The characteristics of the stage has changed on the last day. Evans wasn't quite so comfortable with the brand new car he was in. Similarly, you could mm. say for Ogier, it's a different sort of Ogier. It's an Ogier who isn't prepared to take risks, as in, you know, to take the ultimate risk and, and risk going off and losing everything. And he just knuckled down. He said, no, I'm not going to win this one. I know I'm not going to win at this point. So I'm going to secure these points and I'm going to look to build yet again a championship challenge. And he, he was decent again mm. in Sweden and he was magnificent in Mexico. He looks the threatening. Consummate, the consummate professional. Colin, yeah, as you I, I totally agree. I totally I, agree. I had this discussion with uh, with a couple of people in the team uh, about the power stage. And, you know, and my point was, should we have been more surprised that Robin Perra beat him or that Auger lost to him? Uh, and, and they said, you know, actually, this was a common sense game plan because... Sebastian Ogier had nothing to lose in that power... Uh, sorry, he had everything to lose in that power stage. If he'd gone off trying to beat Kalerov and Pera, he, you know, he would have felt that pain for the rest of the year. So, therefore, don't push it. But if if uh, if Calais uh, had gone off, it didn't matter. You know, nobody... Oh, sorry, I had a brief uh, blip in the... So, no, I'll just do that bit again. Yes, that's fine. We've had a bit of delay, and I think you've got it repeating on your ears, haven't you? Yeah, it was all all a little bit odd. Uh, like so no, just TV. just just <laughs> to say that you know that. Yeah, if you just repeat that that in bit, David, that'd be great. That I didn't have that. It was perfect for me. Ooh. Put one. Take one of your phone out. And yeah. just listen through one, and that should be better because you can hear yourself then. Yeah, that's better. So, Robin Perra had nothing to lose. You know, he could push as hard as he wanted in that in that power stage. Nobody expected him to beat Sebastian Ogier. You know, if he went off trying, then so be it. Um, and, you know, the result played out exactly as, as Toyota planned. I think we were all quite surprised that Tommy didn't um, tell the drivers just to calm down a little bit in Sweden. But, you know, ultimately it didn't matter. And again, another, let's end as we've gone through this podcast on a note of, of absolute appreciation for the human being that Ogier is. First out of the car to congratulate Kelly. You know, that's a mark of where he is in his career that, you know, he it didn't bother him that he'd been beaten by a, a 19-year-old. Uh, you know, he got out, patted him on the back and said, see you in Mexico where he, where he wiped the floor with everybody. Okay, so to wrap this up, finally, um, we all know how competitive Sebastian Ogier is. And we've talked um, at length in this two-part Sebastian Ogier career retrospective about his relationship with Sebastian Loeb. Sebastian Loeb has nine World Rally Championship titles. Do you think that Sebastian Ogier will be able to equal or better that? Not a chance. Well, he's going at the end of this year. <laughs> unless, unless, someone, unless someone offers him... 30 million euros a year. Then he's going at the end of this year. Sebastian Loeb quit years ago and he's back. Yeah. I know. Oh, he's, he's a family man now. I, I think, you know, increasingly you can see that. We could see that in Mexico. 
Uh, his his priorities have changed. He's nothing to prove. He's some cash in the bank. Uh, and yeah, it's time to uh, to go home. It is. Can I tell one more Augier story? Far away. Oh, just again, it's you know, we, we, David. You said you didn't want to say how how good and nice the man is. Uh, remember when we had? <laughs> that, well, uh, it, 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 should perhaps quantify that. <laughs> well, you didn't want to say any. Sorry, you didn't want to. You didn't want to say any more. You've said you've said it plenty of times. Yeah, fair play. Yeah. Uh, but uh, remember the first autosport launch of the WRC. When was that? Now, two years ago. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <Carl. laughs> uh, it was. In... <laughs> 17, 18. So, 18. I think it was 18. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm just picking, my, picking myself 18 up and 19. Floor 18, from, that, yeah. from that absolute slap in the face from David Evans. You okay, Carl? So I didn't expect okay. a question. Carl, it's been a long day. <laughs> so it was, the, it was the first time we were at Autosport. And, and 2018. It, it, I think it was, a, it was the Thursday, wasn't it? And obviously, yeah. Autosport <laughs> is at Birmingham International <laughs> Arena, whatever they call it, right next door to Birmingham Airport. And there were quite a few people flew in from Germany. Uh, now, Ogier was flying in from Germany because his wife was in Germany or something. Uh, some reporters flew in, as did some other people from another organisation within the WRC. Now, when they were going home, they all went back on the same plane. So they did the launch uh, and they got on the plane. And you know, these people from the other organisation got on the plane, sat in row one. Uh, my friend Reiner Kuhn mm. got on the plane, strolled back into row 22, made himself comfortable. Uh, <laughs> and then... He's looking down the aisle, and Ogier comes wandering up the aisle. And Reiner turns around and says to him, you distracted. The business class is at the front of the plane with all those other bigwigs from WRC. And Ogier went, why would I pay a huge amount of money to sit at the front of the plane for a flight that's less than one hour? I'm next to you, Reiner. And he was at the back of the plane <laughs> with Reiner in. That, that, I bet that made Seb's day. <laughs> <laughs> Much as we absolutely love and admire Reiner Coon, but at the end of a long day. That was, that was I, an unnecessary dig, David Evans. Sorry, um, Reiner. <laughs> but I thought that was a lovely story. You know, he's, he's, still, he's still grounded. He still knows the value. You know, he comes from a very, very humble background. He's, his father, his mother, mm. very much hardworking people. Uh, yeah. Just outside of Gap. Am I boring you senseless with this story? David? We're running. We're running out of time, so Sorry. we are gonna. We're just Sorry. gonna push the Sorry. stop button there. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. George, <laughs> no, <laughs> George, George, did you have? George, did you have any I, I, final I, words? I'm just. I'm just. I'm just. Yeah. Yeah. George, George, do you have any final words? I think you should points? start again and do it again, Colin, because it's a great story. It rounds out the guy nicely. I thought it was a great ending, Lisa. Do I have any final points? Well, just for, for everybody to realise, the guy is the, the ultimate rally supporter. He loves his sport. He loves our sport. And he is, he is, he is a fantastic commensurate, commensurate world champion, an incredible driver, matured now into a man that's just focusing on the championship, can see past a stage, past a, 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 an event, past a, a power stage mm. to the long game. And, and a championship that's been shortened so far to three events, he's leading by a handsome margin. No, he was really. Honest, a handsome margin. Uh, crikey. Uh, I, I'm quite sure he'll do another year, Colin. Well, yeah, this is not the year to finish up on. Yeah, but I'm it, sure he'll do another year because it's going to be, you know. But the trouble is with that, George, does that not give you a sort of taste of home life? Like, are we going to get six or seven events out of the year? Maybe eight push? Yes. I think he'll come back. 
Oh, oh, oh David, <laughs> David, yeah, it might work the other way. Exactly, George. It might work the other way. He goes, oh, People hang on a minute. <laughs> hang on a minute. Four, four months at home. Thank you very much. Let's take another two-year deal with Tommy. Yeah. I think this enforced hard reset that the entire world's going through at the moment is making people think about what unfinished work they have to do. Uh, our work yeah. is finished, though, for today. Unless, David, you've got anything you want to say? Uh, no. no. Done. I'm done. done. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, thank you for staying with us for these epic retrospective of Sebastian Ogier, six-time world rally champion and two parts. We managed to squeeze it into, I think it's going to be... Well over two hours. (laughs) But uh, we will be back with Spin the Rally Pod. Plenty more to try and keep you entertained. Stay tuned to the website, dirtfish.com. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at Dirtfish Rally. And get your questions coming in. And you never know, we've got a whole list of extra podcasts we want to make. Another one that I thought about, guys, was best rule changes to the championship so if you all want to go away and think about what the best rule change to the championship has ever been we'll discuss that in a podcast to come but that's it for now i'll see you later lads bye bye ladies. Bye, ladies.